well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. Coming up in a matter of moments, Mr. Chuck Michelle going to join us. Uh, ahead of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. We're going to be talking about a, a hearing in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on Tuesday uh, challenging California's ban on uh, so-called large-capacity magazines. Yes, uh, any ammunition magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds. State of California says uh, it should be a crime for you to possess them. Uh, now, uh, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez says that law violates the Constitution. A three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with Judge Benitez. But the state of California asked for an on bunk review by the uh, Ninth Circuit. So on Tuesday, 11 judges uh, heard all arguments. Again, a, another stab at uh, upholding the constitutionality of this law before uh, this case ends up, I think, uh, at the Supreme Court. We'll talk again with Chuck Michelle about this uh, in just a moment or two. Uh, but before we do, we do need to uh, spend a little bit of time discussing President Joe Biden's new plan to cut down on violent crime by going after quote-unquote, rogue gun dealers, yes, announcing a zero-tolerance policy for gun stores across the country, uh, wanting to revoke the federal firearms licenses of gun stores that have paperwork violations. Uh, in essence, if a clerk were to write the letter Y instead of writing out the word yes on uh, one of the many federal forms that uh, these FFLs must uh, submit to the government, that would be cause to revoke that gun license, and to shut down that gun store. Now, uh, we talked about this at BearingArms.com earlier today. There are a number of uh, critics of uh, President Biden who say this is the wrong way to go, including uh, rank-and-file police officers in New York City who say, look, we can't try to you know, or, uh, 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 confiscate guns uh, and expect that we're going to cut down on violent crime. We have uh, 400 million privately owned firearms in this country. We have a right to keep and bear them. So the idea of cutting down on violent crime by going after guns is kind of backwards. You need to go after the much smaller number of individuals out there who are actually committing these violent crimes and the uh, even smaller number of individuals who are disproportionately committing these violent crimes. Individuals who, by the way, are well known to police and the communities that they uh, prey upon uh, on a daily basis. But the Biden administration can't do that. Can't focus on that. Now, the, but part of Biden's plan is, well, we're going to give uh, COVID relief money, $350, $350 billion worth to, uh, to states and localities. And, and if they want to hire more police and they want to do whatever they want, that's fine. But Biden can't be seen as being too pro-police, not in the Democrat Party. Oh, no, no. He can't be seen as wanting to be tough on violent criminals in the Democrat Party. So instead, he's going after guns. And gun stores. We're going to have more on this uh, on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company as well. So I would encourage you to uh, uh, watch that program as well. Right now, though, let's get to our conversation with California Rifle and Pistol Association head Chuck Michelle. Take a look and a listen. Chuck, thanks so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Cam, always a pleasure. We're definitely living in interesting times. Appreciate you helping us get the word out. Yeah, you bet. And we're going to talk about uh, what happened in the Ninth Circuit here in uh, just a minute. But I've got to ask you, President Biden announcing today his latest uh, strategy to fight crime uh, by targeting gun store owners. Uh, uh, you know, he's got this zero tolerance policy, basically says if you uh, uh, have any infraction that the ATF can find, they're going to shut gun stores down. What's your take on this? Well, I, I, that's, uh, that's basically just a license to try and get rid of as many gun stores as they can. 
there isn't really, I don't know that there's any gun store that doesn't have some kind of a paperwork violation. I mean, they used to violate FFLs in LA County because they wrote LA in the county box rather than spelling out Los Angeles. So that's how minor those kinds of violations typically are, those little paperwork violations. Very, very difficult to be 100% of those. Uh, and But this is really all part of the larger effort to demonize gun stores, make it harder and harder and harder to buy guns through all the different approaches that they're taking. This is the latest part of that. And it ties right into the Brady Center's, you know, Handgun Control Incorporated's old uh, Bad Apple Dealers program, where they would uh, demonize any gun store that had more traces, that, trace requests from the ATF uh, to trace a gun rather uh, as opposed to relative to other gun stores. And uh, they, 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 they just never con considered or never factored in that stores that sell the most firearms are going to have the most traces. But that didn't stop them from declaring those dealers to be bad apple, in their words, bad apple dealers that need to be shut down. So, you know, if, if people can't buy guns and they are terrified of how many people have been buying guns mm -hmm. last year, uh, then there's less gun owners out there, less gun owners that realize that <coughs> guns are not evil and uh, and they get more normalized. And that's something that the gun ban lobby is terrified of. Absolutely. And look, I mean, we've seen this, you know, USA Today uh, ran a big uh, uh, investigation in partnership with Michael Bloomberg's uh, anti-gun news outlet, The Trace, a few weeks ago, uh, trying to make the case that the ATF has gone soft on uh, gun dealers, that they're they're not revoking licenses when they should. Uh, we had a story yesterday, uh, the headline, 300,000 uh, Nick's denials last year, a, a record um, and and before you and I uh, started recording this conversation, you had an interesting observation about about that number and how they're trying to scare folks. If I said, look, 300,000 prohibited people tried to buy guns last year. Yeah. The, you know, the reality is there's a lot of people out there who are in a prohibited category and don't know it. Uh, in California, we probably get 15 calls a week from people who are, tr are trying to do, file the paperwork to get their rights restored because they went in to buy a gun in the last year. And got rejected and they don't even know why and so there's a long process to try and get to the bottom of what it is that's causing you to be disqualified but often it's because people got a tro issued against them they were never even told about from some disgruntled ex-girlfriend who they haven't seen in years or they had a drug conviction years ago that was supposed to be reduced to a misdemeanor after they got whatever it is they had to do for probation and they ne and their lawyer never filed that paperwork to reduce the the conviction. So there's there's this is what's been uh, really illustrated by the California Armed Prohibited Persons System program is how many people out there are not violent, are not a danger, are not a threat to public safety. They're good people. They just made a mistake usually years ago and didn't realize that it put them in this category that they needed to get fixed. So. This 300,000 figure is is really meaningless relative to the number of people who have been buying guns. And the, the real question is, how many of those people? For, well, first of all, there's probably a lot of mistakes because the NICS system is riddled with errors and so are the state databases. So they may be denying people for the wrong reason or, or thinking they're someone else. But even if they have some kind of a record, often the records are screwed up. California's database, databases are a mess. But once you get to the bottom of it, they file a paperwork, piece of paper with the court and they get their rights back.
Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I uh, realized as I was looking at this issue, uh, probably a couple of months ago, I, I did a story about this at Bearing Arms. There's no way for somebody to find out whether or not they're a primitive person. I mean, if they are unsure, it's not like they can conduct a NICS check on themselves, right? They, they you know, in fact, there was a, a case out of Erie, Pennsylvania, where a guy won a gun uh, at an auction and he even told the uh, the auction house, he's like, I'm not sure if I, you know, he had, I think it was like a DUI arrest in his past. And the uh, the auction house told him, look, fill out the form. If you're denied, you'll you'll know that you can't get the gun. No big deal. He ended up being charged right, uh, with trying to buy a gun as a prohibited person. And he did not know. So there there is no way for you to conduct a NICS check on yourself to determine whether or not you are prohibited or you're good to go. You can't do a NICS check. Uh, the way that you, the way you get in trouble is it, there's a box on the, on the 4473 form that you have to fill out that says you don't think you're prohibited. And then if you say you don't think you are, and it turns out you are, then they can file, it's a lie and buy. They, they, the prosecutors call it on you for that. So you cannot fill that form out all the way without risking being prosecuted. But that's for NICS. In California, you have the personal firearms eligibility check where you can actually submit a, a request to the Cal DOJ to find out whether or not you're prohibited from buying a gun. And we're doing, we're doing, we've done hundreds of those in the last year to try and find out why people are prohibited. But it's in typical DOJ fashion, they don't even necessarily know. I mean, their, their records are a, are a basket case. And so, you know, and they won't go to court if they have any doubt that you're able to possess a gun, they deem you ineligible. And then you have to go to court and get the actual records and show them this is what happened. It's not what you think happened. You know, and I mean, again, uh, these are real issues that I would like to think could be addressed in a, uh, a nonpartisan or a bipartisan fashion. But uh, that's not what we're seeing here uh, from the Democrats in charge of either California or the federal government at the moment. Again, it's it's all about, uh, you know, trying to arrest and ban our way to safety. Which brings us to uh, California's magazine ban, which was uh, under scrutiny in the Ninth Circuit yesterday, an on banc panel of 11 judges hearing oral arguments in this case. Uh, and, and Chuck, I sat and I watched that entire hour. It is available online for folks to watch. And I realize I've got my personal biases here, but I honestly thought that uh, Aaron Murphy, representing the plaintiffs yesterday, had the much better argument uh, as to why this law is unconstitutional than the state of California did trying to defend the legality of this ban. You know, well, uh, uh, absolutely. She did a great job. And the state is pulling the same baloney evidence out that they put it in the trial court, which, frankly, the appeals court is not even really supposed to be considering anymore. Those kinds of factual evidentiary determinations are supposed to be made at the trial court level, not at the court of appeal. But they, some of the judges seemed inclined to second guess uh, Judge Benitez's factual determinations, not just his legal conclusions, his factual determinations, and try and say that uh, uh, the funniest thing was the state's attorney says, well, these are hardly ever used for self-defense, so it's a minimal infringement. And on the, out of the other side of his mouth, he says, well, uh, even if they're only minimally used in crime, that's enough for us to ban them. So you know, you know, the minimal use in crime is enough to ban them, but the minimal use for self-defense is not enough to justify them. You know, it, talk about two-faced. Yeah, well, Judge Van Dyke uh, even uh, pointed that out, saying it sounds like basically your argument is heads I win, tails you lose. 
uh, in terms of talking about you know the, the rarity of uh, of these firearms or these magazines uh, that are being used. But the argument from the state of California it, it was basically, look, uh, this is a longstanding uh, law. It goes back to the 1990s. Uh, we really didn't have large capacity magazines before the 1970s or 80s, so there would be no reason to have a magazine ban. Uh, it is minimally uh, intrusive in terms of the Second Amendment rights of uh, gun owners because, as you say, and as the state of California alleges, you know, uh, the, the average defensive gun use, uh, maybe two point something rounds are fired, far less than 10 rounds. So, so you could ban these magazines. You could put people in prison for owning them. Uh, and, it, it, you know, look, we're really not violating anybody's Second Amendment rights here. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, I tell you what, it's not about how many rounds are actually fired to chase people away. If you have a, a, a more than one person coming into your house and you have 10 rounds and you fire one round, that's typically enough for everybody to run away. But if they don't, you have another magazine full, you know, and it doesn't it, that's not the test. Anyway, the test is what is in common possession, not use, not you actually have to fire all 10 rounds. People have chosen to have the standard capacity magazines, whether that's 10, 17, 20, 30 Whatever it is, that's what people are comfortable with. And the government really has to show that uh, that some law that they're pushing in the in the name of public safety will actually make a difference. And that's what they can't do. And that's where the Duncan case really is just sort of the the the, the leader of the pack right now in the Ninth Circuit, uh, because we did win. At the, this is a CRPA case. and We did win at the at the three judge panel which is the first time that that's happened. And thank Donald Trump for uh, appointing some good judges in the Ninth Circuit, which have made us get a fair share, a fair shake. But uh, uh, Duncan now is uh, poised to potentially re-decide the standard of review that's appropriate in the Ninth Circuit and get rid of the Chauvin two-step balancing test. Although I think, unfortunately, you know, we had seven Democrat appointee judges and four Republican appointee judges, three by Trump and one by Bush. And so if you go by the standard formula of the, you know, the Dems are liberal and the Republicans are going to be more pro Second Amendment, we don't have enough votes. Uh, but yeah. But well, yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, maybe maybe that's the case uh, here with the Zonbank review. But, I you know, ultimately, uh, this case, I think either way is going to get appealed up to the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and there, Chuck, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we, we have another magazine ban case that, uh, arrived at the court a couple of months ago. I, I think the judges may get a chance to, uh, to, to consider this case, uh, in conference maybe once before their uh, summer recess, but probably going to be in the fall. But this is New Jersey's magazine ban, which is very, very similar to California's uh, in that not only did it ban uh, a, a New Jersey resident from being able to buy one of these magazines, but it told New Jersey residents, look, if you bought one when it was legal to do so, just like in California, you can't keep it. You've got to turn it over to the government. You've got to destroy it. You've got to remove it from the state of New Jersey. But you cannot maintain possession of this item that was legal for you to buy when you bought it. Uh, yeah. And and the Supreme Court is going to have a chance to uh, to 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 take up that case. Yeah, that's the that's the takings side of these cases. Not only you know, and then and this is typical. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was almost twenty years ago now that they passed the ban on importation of these magazines. Uh, and then 
And they said, well, if you had them, you, you can grandfather them in. We're not going to try and take them away from you. You know, you if you've possessed them before this law, you can keep them. Naturally, in the way that these laws inevitably go, when they think they have the votes to then rescind the grandfathering and ban the possession entirely, that's what they do. They take every one of these laws, they pass the law, it doesn't work. We tell them it won't work. It doesn't work. And then they say, well, it's because we didn't go far enough. So we got to do more and ban more and take away more. So, uh, but you're right. The Supreme Court is looking at considering taking a New Jersey uh, standard capacity mag ban case. And it has, of course, Corlett, uh, the, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case that is mm-hmm. already accepted and which will be briefed this summer, argued in the fall probably decided next June. And the central issue in all these cases, whether it's the New York State Rifle and Pistol or Duncan, or behind Duncan is the CRPA's Roop case challenging the California Black Rifle Ban, or the Rody case challenging the ammunition background check requirement. Those are all bottlenecked behind Duncan in the Ninth Circuit, which frankly, if, if I was sitting on the Ninth Circuit with the Duncan case, I would say, let's just wait Let's stay the Duncan case, which has all these other cases stayed behind it. Let's stay the Duncan case until the Supreme Court rules on the New York case, because they're probably going to go from some kind of an interest balancing test to the the originalism test to determine the constitutionality of a gun control law, which is yeah. going to be a hard reset for all these cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and as you mentioned, though, I mean, that could be a year before we uh, uh, get the decision uh, in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett. So I, it, it sounds like um, are, are you anticipating we won't get a decision from the Ninth Circuit in Duncan anytime soon? Well, I, I, I mean, if I if I was there, that's what I'd do. I, I don't know. It, it didn't come up. I was kind of surprised, frankly, that it didn't come up during yesterday's argument, that they didn't talk about this, because the, they certainly brought up the appropriate standard of review multiple times. Mm-hmm. Now, the en banc panel could actually overrule the Chauvin three-judge panel that set the standard of review in the Ninth Circuit. That They could overrule that case and set a new standard of review. I don't think they really are ready to do that. Uh, the Supreme Court's going to have to force them to. And so I don't know as, you know, I don't know how far along, you never really can tell what's going on behind the scenes uh, in that court. I don't know how far along they are in actually getting a decision ready to be published. Uh, uh, But if they're not, if they're just getting started, I would hope that they're aware. I know they're aware because we sent a letter in a a file. We filed something telling them about the New York case. And the, the standard of review is the key issue. It has been since right after McDonald. Everybody knew that we needed to get that issue resolved. How much scrutiny do you give to a gun control law when you're trying to determine whether it violates the Second, the Second Amendment? And that's something that we've been trying to get the Supreme Court to address for a decade. F- finally, I think it's inevitable that they will have to address that in the New York State case. And that's going to be potentially a game changer. All of these cases that have been applying the wrong standard for, you know, since 2010, uh, we'll, we'll have to reconsider those rulings. Well, fingers crossed that uh, that, that, that does happen. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, what, what's your advice to, to California gun owners who are uh, watching the, the state continue to target them, be it, you know, going after gun shows in the state of California, uh, trying to implement the uh, the new revised micro stamping standards. Uh, what, what, what's your advice to those Second Amendment advocates still living uh, out west? 
Well, you you have to look. You got to get involved. You got to get educated, and then you got to get involved. And if you don't want your name on a list, so you don't want to join some group, then just donate or 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 have your dog join. We've got a lot of Fido uh, Smiths <laughs> who are members of the CRPA. Uh, there's also the Second Amendment Law Center, uh, which is a nonprofit that Steve Hallbrook and I are are are, are running. Uh, that is going to be filing lots of Second Amendment. It's it really the court is has become a much more important uh, fa- uh, consideration, a factor in in this fight. But uh, CRPA is uh, and and gun owners of California are the only groups that have lobbyists in Sacramento fighting in that rig system to try and slow down uh, the things there and fighting locally. I mean, it, it, there's just a lot of different battlefields that we have to be on. And there's now probably a million new gun owners in California in the last couple of years. So we, there's a lot of speculation about what that ultimate number is, 5 million, 6 million, 8 million gun owners. If we had all those people involved, we would control the state. Uh, but a lot of people don't engage. And so talking to folks like you and other influencers out there, and letting them know that they really have to. And now CRPA is doing local chapters to get people engaged at the local level. That's, you know, that's the easiest way probably to get involved. Just join the local chapter and uh, help us fight back. I mean, but this is too important. This is the freedoms of our children and our children's children. I mean, this is for gen- we're fighting for the rights for generations. Uh, and it, and, and, Unfortunately, it's not just about the Second Amendment. Second Amendment is the tip of the spear. But as you can see from all the things going on in the media every day, there's really a battle going on for America's soul. And what do we stand for? Are we socialist country or are we, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, make your own way kind of a country? And uh, uh, are we a big, are we, do we want big government nanny state or uh, individualism? And that's all uh, something that's worth fighting for. And I'm, happy to be and proud to be part of the fight. I'm, thanks for being involved with it with us. Absolutely. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining us on the program today. I know we'll be talking again very, very soon. Uh, Chuck Michelle with the California Rifle and Pistol Association and the Second Amendment Law Center. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Cam. Anytime. All right. Appreciate Chuck joining us on the program and I look forward to having him back again very soon. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report will start there with a, a case out of Massachusetts. You're talking about uh, Joe Biden's soft on criminals, hard on gun stores and legal gun owner approach to fighting violent crime. How about this argument and shootout at Dorchester gathering led to man's murder. This is from a universalhub.com. Ira Grayson, a former Dorchester, Massachusetts resident who is out on probation following a federal gun conviction, hmm, ordered held without bail on charges that he fatally shot 33-year-old Stacey Coleman at a uh, street get-together on Sunday night, and according to the uh, Suffolk County DA. Uh, so I want to learn a little bit more about uh, Mr. Grayson. He is uh, currently a resident of Manchester, New Hampshire. He was already scheduled for a hearing in federal court next month on whether or not his probation should be revoked for pushing a woman in the face in January. He was on probation after completing a 42-month federal sentence for being a felon in possession of a firearm, a uh, sentence that uh, began with an investigation after he posted a Facebook video of himself shooting an Uzi at a firing range in Manchester, New Hampshire in 2014, uh, which members of the Boston gang unit, familiar with him from his time in Dorchester, saw online. Yeah. 
Uh, according to Universal Hub, after uh, Grayson was arrested in Manchester on charges of shoving a woman with whom he had a close relationship back in January, federal probation officials urged a judge in federal court in Manchester to revoke his four-year probationary period and uh, sentence him to additional time in prison for violating the conditions of his probation. However, judges in Manchester have postponed hearings on his case three different times, each time allowing him to remain free until the hearing, and both probation officials and the U.S. Attorney's Office agreed to that condition. Uh, Universal Hub reports that Grayson has, quote, a long record in both Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And and I would argue that it's individuals like Mr. Grayson who we do need to be focusing on uh, in order to cut down on violent crime instead of focusing on legal gun owners, instead of focusing on firearm retailers. Cut down and crack down on those individuals who are actually driving the violence and committing the violent crimes themselves. But again, can't do that in today's Democrat Party. Not if you want to remain a Democrat in good standing. Uh, Our Armed Citizens story of the day from uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Now, check out this headline. Man shot on Appleton's east side identified. This is the uh, gentleman in question. This is from the uh, Appleton Police Department. That headline, you'd have no idea that there's an armed citizen involved here. Fox 11, WLUK in Appleton, say uh, police continue to investigate a fatal shooting on Appleton's south side that killed a 38-year-old man. Again, still no indication that this perhaps is an armed citizen story. The incident happened on the 2800 block of Newbury Street, they report, following a home invasion on Sunday morning. Neighbor Christina Smekrick said uh, it was just somebody breaking in and told, leave us alone, and they didn't. Police have identified the man who was shot and killed as 38-year-old Jonathan Tolley, 38, of uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Neighbors say that Tolley was the intruder of a duplex on Newberry Street. So you got to scroll way down this story to find out that uh, Mr. Tolley was shot after allegedly breaking into a home. Uh, Smerick said, uh, we found out later the person who had been broken in had been the one who had been shot. Or the person who had broken in, yes, had been the one who had been shot. He had been taken away alive but then ended up dying later. It was about 4.30 Sunday morning. Officers received a call reporting a suspicious person in the neighborhood. It was while they were out there responding to that call that they got another 911 call saying that a man had broke into a neighboring home. Caller said that shortly after that, a gunshot was heard. Police say that none of the residents were hurt. Doesn't appear that the homeowners or the intruder knew each other. Neighbor Kathy Feldkamp says it's even worse because I heard it was an intruder and that did cross my mind. What if something like that happened to my daughter? My grandchildren, they live just a, a few houses away. She said, I'm going to talk to my daughter for sure. She has a camera system that she's going to be putting up, and I hope she does that very soon. Uh, meanwhile, one of the other neighbors says that uh, she feels safe, but she's also prepared to protect herself, saying, quote, I sleep with a service weapon that I used to use, and you know, my husband has like six guns, and my neighbors collect guns. This street is a bad street to break into. We're all armed. Maybe that should have been the headline from the Fox affiliate in Appleton, Wisconsin, rather than burying the lead that uh, this was a defensive gun use. Appleton police not looking for any suspects. They are not expected to file any charges uh, in connection with the shooting, although they do want to know more about uh, how the suspect uh, entered that home and what he was doing in the hours beforehand. All right, finally today, our uh, good deed of the day from Flagler County, Florida, where a deputy was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save the life of a teenage girl. Uh, You can see that moment captured there uh, on camera on Sunday morning. Uh, The uh, girl's father called police about 6 a.m. 
on Father's Day. He said that he was concerned that his daughter was threatening to harm herself, believed he knew where she was headed. Uh, deputies arrived there uh, at this overpass overlooking Interstate 95 in uh, Flagler County, Florida, and they did find the girl. She was sort of edging her way along the outside of that overpass, so they were able to shut down traffic on the interstate. Uh, and a female deputy was uh, brought out to the scene to talk to the teenage girl. As they're having this conversation, she's trying to figure out what's going on. The girl lets go of the rail as if to jump. And that's when the deputy reached out, grabbed the girl's hand, able to put handcuffs on her, then handcuff her to a pole there, holding onto her while a hook and ladder truck was brought in on I-95. They were able to lower that girl down to safety, uh, take her to custody, hopefully get her the help that she needs. And uh, again, I don't think that would have been possible were it not for the life-saving efforts of all of those involved, particularly that deputy uh, who reached out and quite literally lended a helping hand to save the life of that teenage girl. So a, a tragedy averted, and uh, hopefully, again, she gets the help that she needs uh, and, uh, and can look back on this as a, uh, a turning point for the better uh, in her life. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Also want to thank all of our VIP members for your support. If you are not yet a VIP member of Bearing Arms, you can do so. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. You can use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your membership. You'll get exclusive analysis, commentary, and more, but you'll also be supporting things like Bearing Arms Cam and Company, coming to you uh, almost each and every weekday, including tomorrow. We will be back with more on uh, the Biden administration's war on gun stores and gun owners. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.